You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. as we've clarified, really laid a foundation over the last couple of months of, of some of the basics of the gospel. What is the gospel identity? How do we see change happen in our life? What does it mean to be, you know, called a, a follower of Jesus Christ? So I'm going to wrap it up today with, with disciples making disciples, and that's going to that's be the theme. Uh, Jesus' first act at the beginning of his ministry uh, was to declare the imminent arrival of God's kingdom. His second act was to call others to follow him. And the, the years that Jesus, Jesus Christ spent on this earth, that's what he did. He called others to follow him as a, as a rabbi. He called others to, to come and sit under his teaching. And then when he left, he gave us that same command to go and make disciples of all nations. And that's at the heart of what, uh, what God has called us to do here as a church, is to go therefore and make disciples. Now, we are not making disciples of ourselves. We are not like Jesus in the fact that I'm not a rabbi trying to ask you guys to follow me. But I am a, I am a, a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a, I'm a disciple of his, trying to learn about this relationship, following him on this journey, and then inviting others to come with me, to come alongside me as we, as we pursue Jesus and we grow and we learn more about God. The, the mission that's been set before us as God's people is a mission of discipleship. That's it. It's to go and make disciples. And, and I think sometimes we like to compartmentalize a church and religion. And we kind of see uh, on Sunday morning, you know, gathering churches over here where we come and we learn about God. And, and, uh, and then maybe discipleship is this thing that we do uh, when we meet in homes. A lot of us refer to it as like a Bible study. Well, we'll get together and we'll open up a book of the Bible and we'll, and we'll learn about it. And we look at that as discipleship or maybe a little bit as on Sunday morning is what we're doing is discipleship. And then we have this third area where we actually go out into our community and into St. John's and we serve the, the people here. And we tend to compartmentalize like that. That's not how discipleship works. Discipleship is, is all-encompassing. It's the main goal of what we're trying to accomplish here until Jesus Christ returns. And discipleship is done two ways. It's done through gospel word and gospel community. Those are the, those are the two areas that make up this task of making disciples and telling other, others about Jesus. A part of it is through the spoken word, which occurs here on a Sunday morning when, when we use the word preaching. And what I'm going to do to you guys right now, we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to talk about it. That's gospel word, the truth of God's word being spoken to you into your hearts to change you. Now, that doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. It happens when we gather in smaller groups throughout the week and we meet in homes and we gospel one another by, by speaking truth over each other and we listen for how we're living out our lives and we challenge different areas of our lives that may not match up to the gospel. So I speak the gospel to you on Sunday mornings. You speak the gospel to one another throughout the week in community. But also you speak the gospel as you go out into a workplace and into a neighborhood and and you go into your kid's school and you're hanging out with these other families, you are about the task of making disciples through speaking gospel, right? So gospel word is one part of it. The other side is gospel relationship or gospel community. The truth is best experienced and best heard in the context of relationship. So then it's not just about speaking 
It's also about showing with your actions that we love one another. That's why we dedicate each week to being in community to one another, to to speaking of one another. It's why I commit myself to being involved in my community, to to being involved in relationships with those who are not not believers. Uh, This past uh, week, we have a family at our school that we've befriended that uh, uh, aren't aren't believers, aren't professing uh, God, really don't want to have anything to do with God. And and so uh, we've befriended them. And uh, just been hanging out, you know, the barbecues, the stuff like that. And uh, yesterday, uh, they're both at uh, ITT Tech uh, out at the airport, and they had like a robot war competition where they all made robots and they, they fought them against each other. It's kind of sumo style. Uh, and so me and the girls went and, uh, and had a blast, got to play with all types of robots and, and got, to, uh, got to do a little battling and a little racing with robots. It wasn't because I'm just super into robots, um, it's because I was involved in gospel relationship. I'm being very intentional with my time and those that I hang out with because I want them to see in my life what's going to match up with the truth of God's word at whatever point that they hear that. That's how disciples are made. And that is something that we are all called to. It's not just something that you guys pay me to do. It's not just something that Royce does or, or guys like Charlie when they get up on stage. All of us are called to this work of going and making, making disciples. Uh, and, and I want to I under, let you guys know that uh, it's not easy to make a disciple, right? I don't want to be flippant and say, hey, you guys just go and make disciples. I realize the challenge of doing that, the challenge of actually being heavily invested in other people's lives, even people in the church. It's hard. It's hard to be in community together. It's hard to be in relationship with one another. I think the gospel word part's pretty easy, man. It's the good news, right? You're just telling about Jesus. You're telling about, hey, here's God. Here's what he's done. And letting God's work come in and do their heart. The gospel relationship part is, is challenging, right? Royce admitted to that last week when he was preaching. He said, he said, you know, there's parts of this mission that are hard for me to do. You know, as we work through the graphic, and uh, I'm not going to show you guys the graphic again today. I know you'd love to see it, but it's probably burned into the retinas of your eyes by now. Uh, when you look at that, you say, man, like that's hard. There's parts of it that, that don't, aren't just natural to me. I'm not gifted in that way. And I want to I let you guys know I, I understand that. And I, I empathize with that. When you, when you see this task that's been set before you of making disciples, there's a couple of different responses you can have. You may say, I can't do that. You know, I just, I, I can't. I don't know how I'm going to go about doing that. I have a hard enough time just, you know, like (laughs) making it through the day myself. And you're asking me to like go and make a disciple of somebody else. I need to be made a disciple here. So I understand if you say, I can't do that. And some of you just may say, I don't know how to do that. My whole life, I've I've been told that I don't really know how. And then some of you guys are like, dude, we're going to do that. I'm, I'm all about it. All three of those are acceptable responses, and I want you to know that. Because the truth is, you can do it. Jesus Christ gave you all the tools that you needed to do that. He picked some smelly old fishermen, and he used them to do amazing works for his kingdom. And he gave you his Holy Spirit inside of you to accomplish this task that he set before us as his church. And we as, as elders are giving you guys the tools to do that. That's, that's what we're trying to do. We, even when we gather here corporately on a Sunday morning, there's definitely been more of a focus over the last few years of equipping the believer for the work of the ministry. 
So if you're, if you're here on a Sunday morning and, and, uh, and you're not a believer and, and, and there's, there's good chance that, that many of you guys are and you're just kind of checking out this whole Christianity thing, I'm glad you're here because you're going to know what you're getting yourself into. You're going to know what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to make a disciple of Jesus. Uh, today we're going to be looking at a story in Luke 19 of, uh, of discipleship. And, and I'm going to start, and I'm just going to talk you through the passage of, uh, of Zacchaeus, but then we're going to actually exegetically kind of walk through Luke 19, 11 through 27, which is the parable of the mina. So in the story with Zacchaeus, it's a famous story. You guys know it. And the reason I'm telling it to you is it's a pretty good example of what each of us are called to do. So Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's not liked by people. He gets his income off of overtaxing people, and he's a short guy. You guys remember the story. You've, you've heard it your whole life. So Zacchaeus wants to go and see Jesus, right, in, in Luke 19. And so he climbs up in a tree. Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house. I'm going to have a meal with you. And so him and Zacchaeus sit down at a meal. And look at Zacchaeus's response after sitting down with Jesus. And you see this in Luke 19, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Right? Zacchaeus, who was not a follower of Jesus Christ, starts out by saying, Behold, Lord. He acknowledges Jesus Christ and the role that he has as Lord over his life, as authority over his life. Right? He steps into this role and he says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So Zacchaeus becomes a disciple of Jesus by at first acknowledging him as Lord. We call that a confessional faith, right? Confess with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's where the life of a disciple starts at in confession. But when you look at the life of Zacchaeus, it doesn't stop there, does it? He moves automatically to a functional faith. And what does he do? He gives away half of his possessions to the poor. Pretty wild, huh? If I've defrauded anybody. So we look inside of his life and we see both a confessional faith and a functional faith. That's because Jesus went to him and Jesus had gospel words that he spoke into Zacchaeus, but he also had a gospel relationship with Zacchaeus in his home, telling him about the truth of the scriptures. He went to him, right? He went to someone that nobody else would go to. And that radically changed who Zacchaeus was. That is what we are all called to do. If you want to call yourself a disciple of Jesus, a father, follower of Jesus, you're to be about making disciples of other people. And it's done through, through truth, and it's done through relationship. I really want to see this happen in the life of our church. I believe over the, over the last two years, we've, like I said, I feel like we've laid a foundation as a church. Uh, we kind of weathered a storm, you know, over the last two years, if you guys have been here. And, and, uh, and I feel like we're beginning to, to build some momentum. If you guys look around, there's more people that are coming. I'm seeing more relationships being invested in, in this community. And so we're kind of at this tipping point as a church and, and that we've laid a foundation. I think we all have a pretty good idea. If you've been here the last few years, you have a pretty good understanding of who God is and what he's done. We needed to know God. We needed to meet God. And now we're going to begin to push out. And, and, and we're going to start to push hard on you guys for, for action, for something tangible, because that's what the gospel calls us to. It's not just about something heard. It's also about something that we're to do. We're to be obedient and we're to go out. And so we're at that point as a church where, where 
pushing against you guys and encouraging you to go out, to go out, to go out, to go out into this community, to go into your circle of relationships. You have all the tools necessary to do that. And although I acknowledge that it's hard and that some of us it isn't natural, we're a church of introverts, you know, when you start talking to people, there's just a lot of us here. There's just a lot of real natural introverts. And we're also in a kind of a religious institution that says all you have to do is come on a Sunday morning, put a 20 in the plate, you know, and then go back into your, your regular world that you live in. And that life doesn't match up with anything that we read in the scriptures and any of the calls that Jesus placed upon his disciples as he, as he sent them out. So I want you guys to know my heart is to empower you guys, to send you guys out. And I want to try to model that for you guys, not by like setting myself on fire up here so that you can bring all your friends to come and see me. I want to do it by trying to live the same life that you guys do in my neighborhood, at a place of employment at some point, you know, in the future when when God decides to allow me to go back into the workforce. They're saying, hey, we we can do this, right? Each of us are, are disciples, called to make disciples. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So we're just going to keep reading in Luke 19 here. And we're going to be looking at the parable of the mina, which is, uh, it's pretty heady. So, so uh, what I'm going to have the ushers do is they're going to come forward and we're going to do a reverse offering. Uh, so I'm going to pass around tickets uh, and I've given you guys a gold dollar. So I'm paying you off. No. Uh, I want to give you guys something tangible for you that are visual learners. I want to put something in your hand that's going to remind you of this parable that Jesus that Jesus teaches to you. So they're going to pass around the offering buckets with the, uh, with the, with the gold. Uh, and everybody take one. There's 50. So those of you on the back row, you may have to double up. But, but everybody should be able to get one. So, so we're going to start in, in, in Luke 19 here. And we're going to, we're going to read this parable. So uh, I'm going to read while we pass. So go ahead. Come on. You guys can, can pass. And, uh, and let's stand up while we read the word of God. And read uh, as show a sign of reverence before God's word. And, uh, and you guys can read and listen and, and multitask. Oh, yeah, that's going to be loud. Maybe we shouldn't do this while I'm reading. We'll just, huh? Just read loud. Okay, here we go. Ready, Zacchaeus? I mean, uh, Luke 19, verse 11. Uh, it's up on the screens if you don't have a Bible. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore... A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten mina and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing, um, biz- by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minus more. And he said to him, well done, good, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five mina. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you, what, what you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? 
And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten mina. And he said, and they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, that's, that's heavy, God. Uh, it, it really is. Uh, it, it doesn't sit well with my politically correct uh, heart. And, uh, and so, Father, I, I just ask that you change my heart today, uh, that I'm open to receive the truth of your word. As, as we look at what your kingdom is, is about, and we look at what it means to be a, an obedient servant, uh, God, um, uh, may we not be offended, uh, but may we be convicted. Uh, Father, may our, may our hearts be changed uh, through you, through the teaching of your word, because uh, we do desire to be obedient until your return. I ask this in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So the parable starts out with uh, kind of following what just happened with Zacchaeus. And he, and he says it there, as they heard these things, as Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. That's my purpose. That's what discipleship is, to seek and save the lost. That's why I'm here. As they heard these things, and as they're approaching Jerusalem, he, he hears his disciples uh, probably complaining or having a misconception of what it means to be about his kingdom. And it says it, he, said, he tells this parable because as they neared Jerusalem, um, they supposed that the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. So as, the, as Jesus had been, had been moving around to these cities, he's getting closer to Jerusalem. He's talking about the coming of his kingdom that's about to be inaugurated or, or consummated with his death. Uh, that he's going to die in Jerusalem at the hand of the Jewish people. And all his disciples are hearing is there's about to be a battle. There's a kingdom coming. Because in their mind, every time a new kingdom was ushered in, it was done through war, right? That's how kingdoms fall. That's how new kingdoms rise up is a group comes in and they take over. So they're thinking, we're on our way to Jerusalem. We're getting closer. Jesus has given on me all these weird vibes about dying and stuff like that. I think there's going to be a fight. I think the kingdom is about to come right now. And so Jesus is going to tell them a parable that's going to say, you know what? I, I, am, I, have, I have come and, and ushered in the kingdom of God. I'm going to I'm going to um, consummate that kingdom through my death, but that kingdom is going to continue to, to go on this earth in my absence. And then one day I'm going to come back. That's, that's kind of what the point of the parable is. That's why, that's why he tells this, this story of them, to get them in the right mindset. So for us today, as, as we walk through this parable, um, we're going to talk about uh, stewardship. And we're not going to do it from a financial perspective. I'm not talking about you handling your money really well. I gave you guys money to symbolize something that I've entrusted to you. I'm, I'm giving you something that I want you to go out and I want you to do something with it. I want you to, to spend it on something or if you want to keep it as a reminder, it's really up to you. But I want to give you guys something tangible in your hand and realize that you've been entrusted with this, this message, this truth this gospel relationship, and, and you're sent out with that to do something with it. So as you have that coin, I want you to think about this parable. I want you to think about what it is that God has entrusted to you as his disciple, as you're, as you're being sent out into our community. So uh, in the parable that I just read, there's a couple of different figures here. We've got uh, a nobleman. In some of your Bibles, it may say a king. In the parable, that nobleman is meant to be God or Jesus Christ, right? We know it's, just, it's the same person. 
So the Trinity here. So the nobleman in the story is meant to represent God. And in the story, the nobleman goes into a faraway country to inherit a kingdom, right? Which wasn't, which wasn't uncommon. Uh, and actually what it, what it means is that he wanted to inherit um, the kingdom here. So he had to go into a faraway country to get permission to do that. So in the, in the Jewish culture, when a new king came about, like in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the city of Jerusalem, if, uh, if Herod died, like what happened um, about 84, I think it was, uh, Herod died, the one that had persecuted Jesus, his son, um, Archelaus, was, would then be the next one to come and to inherit the kingdom, right? So if Archelaus wanted the kingdom, he would have to go to the Romans, right? He didn't just naturally, he, they weren't in charge at the time the Roman Empire was. So he would have to go before the Roman Empire and make petition why he should be king over this kingdom. So that's our mindset, right? That's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the king. I'm going to this place. I'm going to be inheriting this kingdom. And then I'm going to be coming back at some point in the future. And so in the meantime, I'm, I'm leaving you guys in responsibility. So you guys understand kind of where we're going here? Jesus is the nobleman in the parable. The second group of people we have in the parable are servants, right? And these servants, some of your Bibles may say slaves, these servants are entrusted with the responsibility of the resources of the king until he returns back from, this, from getting this kingdom, okay? So it says that in the parable, he gives each one of the servants... Uh, 10 mina. So they were given uh, close to four years worth of wages, which is a lot, right, to, to inherit. So he takes, takes ten, he takes 10 of his servants. It's not meant to represent the, 10 to the 12 disciples. He would have used the word 12. It's meant to represent all of the disciples of Jesus, right? King's going off. I'm entrusting with you guys uh, something for, for your possession. So he gives them this 10, these 10 mina, and he tells them to go out and to do business. You know, make an investment. Give me a return for this investment. And when I come back, you're going to answer for what you've done in the meantime. That's us, right? We're the servants. If you want to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Then I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of the kings that's been entrusted with his resources to steward until he returns. And I'm going to make the case, like I did earlier, that primary resource that you guys are to steward is the making of disciples. Right? That's what Jesus started his kingdom with. That's what he ended his kingdom with. Throughout his kingdom, throughout his time here on earth, he was constantly sending his disciples out to go and make other disciples, to bring others into the kingdom of God. That's what we've been stewarded. And realize in the parable, does he give the servants different amounts of money? No. He gives them all the same amount. Well, that kind of messes with my paradigm of church, doesn't it? Like, hang on a second, dude. Like, no, you as the, me, me as the elder, I have, I, I, I get like 10 coins, but, you know, maybe, you know, Tom, we're going to give you three coins, you know? Joanne, you get four coins, you know, stuff like that. I want you to, that's not what the parable says, is it? They're all given the same amount of responsibility in the kingdom, but that's not how we think. We don't look at ourselves as makers of other disciples. We leave that up to the, the paid professionals, right? I'm just gonna leave that up to, to Royce because, you know, Royce is a teacher. I'm gonna let him make disciples. He admitted last week that it's hard for him to do that, but he's willing to say, okay, God, I believe that you can use me to do this. And I truly believe that all of us Man, if we could grasp that concept that I am to be a maker of disciples, it could radically change not only 
this, this little church in St. John's, it could change the kingdom, right? Could you imagine if each one of us just went out and picked one person that we said, I feel God's calling me to make a disciple of this person. And we all have people in our lives, no matter how introverted you are, you have influence over someone. You have a network of relationships. You have family. You have neighbors. You have a job where you're surrounded by coworkers. You're in school like Andrew, and you have tons of people around you all the time. If you went into U of P looking at yourself as a maker of disciples, it would change the way that you live. It would change the people that you interact with. It would change how you use your time around those people. It would change your heart. But that's, that's the reality of what God has entrusted. And we know that Jesus is going to come back one day and then it's, it's all over, right? I mean, that's, that's it. There was, a, there was a beginning to this earth and there's going to be an end, right? The, the, the king is, kind of, is coming back one day on the, on the horse like, like Charlie Red. You know, and we're going to be worshiping him. But at that moment, it's all, it's done. We've, that's been the opportunity for us as God's servants to, to reach other people. And there needs to be an immediacy to this call. There needs to be an urgency to go and to make disciples. And, and, I, and I'm telling you guys, like I did going to a robotics fair, you don't have to be breaking out systematic theology and, and trying to explain it. You just have to be willing to go to be sent out, and you have to have your eyes open for who God can use you, and he is using you. And I see it in community, you know. Where's Joe at? Oh, the other Joe, Joe Forgione. He was here earlier. Is he out in the foyer? Uh, Joe, uh, Joe's been inviting his, his roommates to come to church, to come to our home community. I'm like, awesome, dude, you know. That, that you, you, you cared enough about those people that you live with to invite them into your, into your, your family, your church family, and to in, in, interact with us. Guys, if Joe can do it, there's hope for all of us, right? We're, we're getting that. We're getting that mission that God has, has sent us out, and he's called us, and so it's starting to go, right? We're starting to build that momentum. We just need to, to continue moving that direction. So he gives all of, all of his servants all equal amounts of, of responsibility to, uh, to go and to make an investment uh, for his return. So uh, the third group of people that we have in this story are called the citizens. Now, the citizens in the story as a, as a historical story that actually happened that actually happened at a real time in history. We know that the citizens are the Jewish people, right? Uh, the story I told you earliest about Archelaus when he came uh, to be the, the king over, over the Jews, uh, he actually, when his dad died, he went and petitioned the Roman authorities to be, a, to be the king. Well, a group of 50 Jewish delegates went with him and they followed him to, uh, to, to Rome. And uh, as Archelaus was petitioning why he's such a great guy and should be king over the Jews, they kept saying, nope, that's not true. He's going to be a really bad ruler. We don't want him to be the ruler over us. And, and they were able to remove his authority from him. And so he was given the title of ethnarch instead of king, which means you have to earn the kingdom. I'm going to place you in authority, but you won't get the title. So the Jews, historically, as Jesus is telling this parable, they're like, oh yeah, I remember when that happened. And it's not, it, was, it happened all the time. Every time a new king came up, they would go and they would protest. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you citizens, you're the Jews that took the authority, that tried to take the authority away from the king. And we know that's really what they were doing, right? They didn't want Jesus to rule over them. They didn't want him to be, the, be their Messiah. 
So the third group of people are those who do not wish to live under the authority of God's kingdom. They would say, well, not only don't wish to, they would say, I'm going to take your authority from you. And how do we do that? By being God in our own life, right? When God, when our word is our ultimate authority, not the scriptures. When my preferences drive my actions, not God's word. That's how we dethrone God. Right? It's the sin of humanity. It's what Adam and Eve did in the beginning. They said, you know what, God? We don't want to live under your rule and reign. We're going to take it for ourselves. So those are our, our, we have the nobleman, which is Jesus. We have the, 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 the uh, servants, which are disciples of Jesus Christ. And then we have the citizens, which are uh, those that, that reject God. So as our story unfolds here, he sends them out. The nobleman goes off on this far, on this far journey to inherit a kingdom. We know that Jesus Christ did that, Right? When, when Jesus Christ went to the cross and died, he, he destroyed the, the, the reign that Satan, Satan had on this earth. So Satan had rule and reign over this earth. This was his kingdom where he still lives today. We were explaining this to our children this past week. If you've been doing the, the family Bible study, we're at um, uh, Daniel's dreams. And you guys remember the, the dream of Daniel when uh, he when never of a statue and the, the heads of gold and the chest is, and the arms are of silver and the legs are of bronze and the feet are of clay and iron and a big rock rolls down and it hits the statue and knocks it down and, and so we, we're talking to our girls and, and, uh, and we're like hey girls what, so what did, what, did the statue rep, what did the statue represent? It represents the kingdoms right? all, all the kingdoms of, of, of the earth and, uh, and we're like hey girls what does the stone represent? Well that, that, that was Jesus right? He came and, and he destroyed that kingdom and then, he, and then the, the small stone grows into a giant mountain in the dream. And, and that represents the kingdom of God that's now fixed and established here on this earth. And so my girls are like, well, what do you mean? How did Jesus destroy Satan's kingdom? And we're like, for their sin. When he, when he died, he not only paid the penalty for all of our sins, but he also took all of Satan's power away from him. Right? There was, there's no for no condemnation for Christ Jesus, right? That, that dethroned Satan. And so now Jesus' kingdom is established here on this earth. It started and then one day he's going he's gonna to consummate it. And so we talked about when Jesus returns with the girls and what that's going to be like. And, and we talked about the battle. They just love talking about battle scenes. I don't, my two little girls just, you know, I don't know what it is. My little ponies, there's a lot of fighting. My little, they love to talk about battle scenes and and, uh, and their favorite movie is like How to Train Your Dragon and, and stuff like that. So we're talking about, yeah, there's going to be this epic battle in the future one day when Jesus is going to come on his white horse and, and he's going to forever cast Satan and all of his followers into the lake of fire. It was a happy story. And um, they're like, what are you talking about? What is that? I'm like, well, that, that's what hell is. You know? and, and so we were able to explain to them what hell is and that this is a real place and it's really going to happen, Right? That, that, we were discipling them, right, sitting in, in, in the bedroom, talking about gospel truth with, with my kids. That's a reality that is actually going to happen at some point. And so we have to keep, always keep that in the, in the front of our, of our minds, that, that there was a beginning to God's kingdom, and one day he's coming back. And so, uh, so that's what Jesus tells, he, he tells us this parable uh, in light of that. So the master goes off on this journey, and he, and he comes back, and he brings all of his servants before him, and he says, hey, what's the investment, you know? What have you done? 
And we know this is actually going to happen, right? At some point, we all stand before God. And we have to give an account for how we, we spent our life and what we did with, you know, the resources that, that God had, uh, had given us. And, uh, and so the, the first servant there says, hey, I had these 10 minus, and uh, I went out and I invested, and I got you 10 more. And, uh, and so what does, he, what does he say to the servant? Uh, he says, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little uh, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Then he has a second servant there. And he says uh, to the other one, Lord, here's your mina, which I, uh, I'm sorry, the second one was, uh, and the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five mina. And he said to him, and you are, you are to be over five cities. So in God's uh, realm, there's this kind of reward, faithfulness and reward system, which we don't really understand what exactly that's going to look like. Um, um, if you read guys like Randy Alcorn, He's got just a great book on the blessings of heaven, uh, which, is, which is some really cool stuff. But it implies that like, hey, if you're faithful on earth with what he says is the little that he gives them, there's this, there's this reward and this responsibility that's, that's going to be given in heaven. And I don't really know how that works, but it sounds pretty sweet, you know, to, be, uh, to have uh, stewardship in, in a kingdom where there's no sin and there's no brokenness. And to, to be able to, I mean, he says be over 10 cities. I don't even know what that means exactly. He says it to, to both those servants, 10 cities and, 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 and five cities, you know? So, th- so then what does that mean for us? What are the implications for us now here living in this time between Jesus comes and came and, and when he returns? It's that you're called to invest your resources that God has given you, time, talents, abilities, money, you know, for the work of his kingdom. And, and it's done, man, guys, if we, could, if we could understand that all we have to do is just, just to go, right? It's not, it's not this task that, that is, is unattainable. I, I think that's why, that's why I'm so passionate to try to change our, our model of leadership in this church so that it's not about a guy on a stage and us all living vicariously through his gifting because maybe that guy's just naturally evangelistic. Or maybe that guy's just an, an extrovert. And so for some reason, we've settled for doing that though, right? I'll just come on a Sunday morning and then I'll let that person do all the work. And that's awesome for that guy, right? I mean, maybe he's gonna have some cities waiting for him in heaven that he's gonna get to, get to rule over. But it sucks for the rest of us, you know? Because we're also held accountable to the, to the same thing. We were all entrusted with the same amount. What are we willing to go and do with that? So there's this, this reward system in it. Uh, and and uh, that, that task of, of going uh, and that task of making disciples in the church, a lot of times we use the word shepherding. So it may be a familiar word for you guys. If you're not, if you didn't grow up in the church, it may sound weird. But, but uh, Jesus called himself the good shepherd, right? A good shepherd watches over the sheep. He protects the sheep. He provides for the sheep. He keeps them from wandering off cliffs and stuff like that. So we say that Jesus is the good shepherd, but also the scriptures say that we're called to shepherd one another, right? Shepherd the flock. He said, Paul says this to Timothy, shepherd the flock that's been entrusted to you. So that shepherding analogy, I think, works really well for disciple making, that each of us are called to be shepherds. Now, some of us are at different levels of shepherding. Me and Royce at the, uh, have, a, have, a, have a response the highest level of leadership in the church. We have to shepherd you guys uh, theologically. We have to shepherd you guys in the word. 
with the shepherd where we're going with the, as, a, as a church direction and mission and all that, right? But it doesn't stop there. That's not the only shepherding that's going on. Then we have home community leaders, people that we've raised up in this church that are like our local pastor, shepherd, nurturers. They're the ones that are invested in you guys' life heavily. I'm one of those because I'm a, I'm a home community leader. So there's a group of 15 people in my home community that I, I feel that I'm responsible to shepherd relationally over, right? My role to you guys on a Sunday morning, I'm shepherding you with truth. That's what Royce is doing. We're shepherding you with gospel truth. Most of you, I'm not shepherding with gospel relationships because I can't, right? It, does, it doesn't work. If I tried to, I would neglect my family in doing it. So we've raised up Mark and Julie to be shepherds over, over a group of people. We've raised up Amy and Russell. You know, Nathan and Christy were shepherds that are moving on. So hey, we need more shepherds that are willing to step up and lead over people relationally, to be invested in, in people's lives relationally. But then it doesn't even stop there. We are actually called to shepherd one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm called to shepherd my neighbors. That's where the, the shepherding analogy may break down a little bit for you because if you look at the analogy, sheep can't shepherd one another, can they? Right? You don't see a sheep like, dude, don't wander off that cliff. It's going to be bad. They'll just go, right? One after the other. When a wolf comes around, you don't see a sheep like, I'll take care of it, you know? You guys just sit back. But in reality, that's what, that's what we're called to do, right? We're all a part of this family together. and We're called to shepherd one another. So when I see my brother sinning, I care about him. And I say, dude, don't do that. It's going to be bad for you. Come back. I speak gospel truth into his life. When, 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 he, when his girlfriend breaks up with him and when there's a rejection or a loss of job, I shepherd him relationally. And I, and I ask how he's doing. And I do the same with my neighbors. I do the same with his family at my school. I'm shepherding them relationally because my goal is that they would become disciples. That's what it means to be a faithful steward. That's what it means to be entrusted with something to take that. I just want you guys to know that you can do that, Right? All of us can go into a circle of relationships and share Christ with those people. So then the story moves on to uh, uh, the next servant. And this is kind of the, the unfaithful servant. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. So this third servant is a, is a part of the community of God, right? They would consider themselves a disciple of Jesus. And they take that responsibility to make other disciples. And what do they do with it? They wrap it up into a handkerchief and they put it in their pocket. Which in the story is pretty neglectful, right? For one thing. You know, if you don't want it to get stolen, don't just wrap it up and stick it in your pocket. Maybe you should go bury it in the ground somewhere, you know, where nobody knows where it's at. And so Jesus is saying, you that would call yourselves my disciples but not be obedient to what I, say, what I say, you're just not being a good steward of what I've entrusted to you. You're just careless, you know? You're just saying, you know, I don't really have to make disciples. I can just let other people do that, right? And, and we see that in the church, don't we? When we settle for less than what God has called us to do. And that's, that's hard. It hurts, you know? It's like, well, that's not nice. Like, do we have to talk about that? Yeah, because Jesus talked about it. We have to. 
And he gives an excuse for not doing it. He says, you know what? I didn't go out and make other disciples because I was afraid if I didn't do a good job, then you who are severe would like punish me and take it away from me, right? Is that true of God? Like when we look at God's compassion and we look at his grace and we look at the Jesus that we see in the scriptures, when you guys don't steward here, uh, does, does God condemn you for not doing that? No, we know God is gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The reality is, is the steward was just being lazy. Everybody else went out and invested and they just didn't want to, right? He's just like, oh, I'll just hang out here, you know, put this in my pocket. When he comes back, I'll say, look, I didn't lose it for you. Here's your money back. And look at the master's response to this steward. Man, it's, it's brutal. He said, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the 10 mina. Right? So the, the, the nobleman calls him on his lie. He says, look, I didn't, I didn't steward your money because I was afraid that you know, you would be a severe man if I, if, I didn't, if I didn't do a good job with it. And he calls him and says, if that were actually true, you would have at least invested the money, you know? You would have at least gone and, and stuck it in the bank. The reality is, you never knew me. That's hard, isn't it? What, what we believe about God will be evidenced in our actions, not in our words, he was, a, he was a confessional disciple, right? He, he acknowledged the guy as king. He acknowledged him as nobleman. He said, hey, you're, you're, you're in charge. He had a confessional faith. But like Zacchaeus, or unlike Zacchaeus, he didn't move from just confessional faith to actual functional faith where it's living out in his everyday life. That's when we know that we're a follower of Jesus, when it changes who we are. And it changes the way that we live our lives here on this earth in this community of St. John's. And in our workplaces. I love you guys. And so I, I want you to know this. That there's, a, there's an accountability to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are not Christians and are just kind of checking this whole thing out. There's an accountability that comes along. But I want you to know you're going to be following a good God. Please hear me in saying that. You are not following a severe master. You're following a generous, gracious God that loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. For your sin and your rebellion, he paid the price for you. Isn't that goodness, right? Doesn't that show us who God is? Doesn't that make us want to follow him? Doesn't that give us a hope inside of us? When I look at, at my life and I look at my journey with God and how I was once an enemy of God's because of my sin and my rebellion, and through Jesus Christ, I've been brought into the fold, brought into the family of God, and now I'm being used for his kingdom. That's who I am now. Because something changed inside of me. I realized that there was hope there, and I realized that I had a message, and I had talents and gifts and abilities that I was called to use. Right? That's very different than becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and taking his commands and wrapping them up and sticking them in your pocket and doing nothing at all. Right? 
And we live in this community that is crying out for hope that's crying out for the thing that we have to offer. Every time I get on the St. John's Facebook page, me and Wally were kind of joking about the Facebook page. Every time I get on the St. John's Facebook page and I see someone crying out to 5,000 members for help, I'm sick, would somebody bring me medicine? Would somebody come over and watch my child? They're saying that to 5,000 people that live in this community. Why? Because they have no friends. They have no one that's reaching out to them. I lost my job. Can somebody help me? Doesn't that cry out for desperation? Well, they, they need it, right? They're crying out for relationship. And you not only have relationship to offer them, you have the hope of Jesus Christ, which they desperately need more than any relational connection that you may give them. And you can bring both of those to them, not by trying to get them to come to this building, but about you leaving this building and going out to that place and going back into all of those networks of relationships and sharing that hope and God doing amazing things through you just because you're willing to be obedient and you're willing to speak. Man, when we start doing that, that's gonna be awesome. That's gonna be an amazing day. And I'm not saying it's not happening, guys. I wanna affirm you in the fact that I see this. I see, as I talk to you guys, a lot of you have a, a network of relationships, close friends that aren't believers, which is awesome. It's the way that it should be. But I do feel that sometimes you have the relational part, but the truth part, right? Maybe that's what you're holding in the handkerchief and, and not being willing to speak. And it has to be both. It has to be gospel word and gospel relationship if we're going to see hearts changed. So be bold in presenting the gospel and going out into this community. And so it says that, that he takes the, the, the mina that was given to that servant and he actually gives it to the other servants. Man, that's hard, right? There's rejection there but before God. I don't even know what that means. I don't really want to go that route. I just want to be faithful with what God's entrusted to me. And then lastly... Uh, he looks at the, the citizens. He looks at this, this Jewish crowd that is gathered. And he says to them, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Do you know what Archelaus did when he got back? He killed 3,000 Jews on Pentecost. So they would have understood what he was talking about. And, and once again, this is that not politically correct part that I don't, none of us really like. But the reality is, you're either for God or you're against God. There's no middle ground, right? And there will be this day that's going to come when all will give account for their lives. And the, the ones that did not know God, he's going to send them away into this, this place that we call hell. That's, that's real. And so for us that are Christians, we should feel an urgency to share for those of you that are kind of trying out this God thing that aren't really sure if this is something that you're interested in, I want you to know that God desperately desires to be in a relationship with you so much that he sent himself, his son, to die for you. And today, if you want to accept him as your savior, that's all you do. Like Zacchaeus in that story, you call him Lord, which means you give him reign over, over your life. Let him have the authority over your life. This is symbolized in the Lord's Supper. We come here every week and as a church, we take the Lord's Supper, we break the bread 
And what that symbolizes is the fact that Jesus' body was broken and he paid the penalty for my sin. I'm acknowledging that before him. It's also a great opportunity for us that are believers to confess sin, right? To confess complacency, to remember the grace that's been extended to us and and then give us that, that filling of the Holy Spirit to go out and extend grace to other people. So if you're a Christian, when you come to the tables, maybe you just need to spend some time talking to God about that, about making disciples and who it is that God has actually placed in your life. Uh, there's a handout on your way out that you can grab and just some questions that you ask yourself during this week or if you're in home community. And one of those questions is, who is it that God is calling me to make a disciple? I want to write that person's name out and begin to pray for them, begin to invest in that relationship. So maybe you're a Christian you want to do that. Maybe you're not a Christian and, and, and the reality of, of God and his kingdom coming and his kingdom at some point, um, his return and the, the end of this earth has spurred some questions. I would love to talk to you about that. You can ask somebody around you. Uh, if, if a visitor, if you came with somebody that's your friend, ask them about that. Ask them about God's kingdom. But if you want to come and talk to me, I'm going to be up here on the front row. And I'd love to tell you about God's kingdom. I'd love to tell you about Jesus Christ and what he's, what he's done in your life. Uh, Charlie's going to come back up here and, uh, and, and lead us in, in worship. And we're going to be singing the song, I Surrender All. So you guys head up here. And, uh, and I think this song, he picked this song even before he knew what we were going to be speaking on. And it's an amazing truth of God's word to sing back in response to him. As I surrender all, God, all to you I give. I give, I give all of my resources, my abilities, my talents. Sing that out. Make that be, if you don't know what to say, make that be your prayer to God. And then it's going to be amazing to see what God does in in our lives as we go forward. So I want to invite you guys to stand. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to sing that song and uh, and, and have some some time now just to do business with God. And if your heart was kind of pricked, if it was convicted, that's okay. It's good. That happens when we read God's word. Let's go and let's confess that. And uh, and let's continue in worshiping God. Uh, Father, we come before you and uh, we... We, uh, we want to be faithful with what you've entrusted us, God. And I know you've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us the tools to, to accomplish the task, Father. Just fill us so that we can go out. I open our eyes to those hurting people that are surrounding us. To, uh, to the lost, Father, that they would be saved through us, your people. Father, I, I, uh, I know you're going to do a work in this place, and I wait in anticipation uh, for it, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it convicts us and leads us to repentance. As we do not now, God, we know that you hear our prayers. We know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Give us a new identity as your servant in your kingdom, waiting for your return. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.